On this episode of Dweeb Dive, we're just continuing our deep dive of the Witcher series going into episodes two and three. So we're going to do this really quickly here, but we're already battening down the hatches and... Dive, dive! Bravo 6, going dark. What's up, everyone? It's Austin, joined by my co-host, Connor. As always, Connor, how are you doing on this beautiful Sunday? It feels amazing to see the sun again. Uh, I feel like I've crawled out of a cave of sadness, and I'm ready to record this podcast, dog. How are you feeling? Doing well, doing well. Had some some of our friends came and visited me in Indy, which was exciting. It's a good time having them here, and... Uh, yeah, it was just a, a nice weekend, and I got some studying done, and the you know, sun came out, sun's out, no guns out, because it's still really cold, but always nice to have the sun trickling in through my windows as I have unrelegated myself from the basement where I normally record, and I'm actually <laughs> seeing the outside. Yeah, the fiance's gone. She's on her bachelorette party, Dude. so <laughs> when the fiance is away... The boys, the boys will, will record play. in the sunlight. Oh, that, or no, that, yeah. No, just, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, dude, it, it's a pretty good my, weekend. My wife has let me see the sun. That's right, that's right. No more bread and water for me. Woo! I'm absolutely kidding. I, I yeah, do not want to pay my about your marriage, terrible light. <laughs> if you ever want to talk about your marriage with me or like a professional, I can help you with that. But uh, if you don't need help with that, I can help you talk about The Witcher. That is... Probably where I'm going to lean to, uh, and it's also a good thing that she doesn't listen to this podcast. So she I doesn't. Guess there's no, of course not. Huh. Maybe we do need to talk about your marriage, man. She does not have a dweeby nerdy bone in her body whatsoever. Well, okay, I'll rewind that. She does a little bit because she was really into Game of Thrones. She really liked The Walking Dead, but okay. It kind of maybe stops there. She doesn't dive into it any further. She's a big Star Wars fan, but doesn't care about anything outside of the main sagas. So, yeah, that, I guess okay. actually that, that might counts. be a good explanation. She's a fledgling, right a fledgling dweeb. Uh, yeah, she's she's in there. Yeah, she, yeah, she counts. She, she's okay. In the same bracket. Okay. Well, she lets me do this podcast, so you know, there's that, right? Yeah, at, at the very least, you can say she's forgiving of a flawed husband. <laughs> that that is absolutely a hundred percent true. I yeah, you know what? Maybe I'm the bad guy. Am I the bad guy? Maybe I'm bad. Austin, I think I just saved your marriage. I told you you need to talk to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, dude. I've been reading a lot of Freud, so that's crazy. Well, it looks like my co-host is trapped in a uh, time vortex of slowness, and we'll have to end the episode here, guys. See ya. Outside of that being crazy, but you know what else is crazy? What's that? Dude, Geralt does not say, well, shit. We were very wrong. And yeah. I think we need to we need to address this openly <sighs> in a state of the union, uh, you know, state of the dweeb nation, dweeb divers everywhere. Yep. We messed up he does not say well shit he says well fuck 
And my response to that when Connor told me that was, ah, (laughs) (laughs) spoken like a true fan of Geralt, dude. Nice. Right. So I just feel a little shook by that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. a little disappointed in myself and you, Connor, for we we both did not know or realize what our our, what our boy was saying or, or talking about in his expression. And uh, uh, this is a formal apology for everyone out there that, you know, we may have just lost the fan base, which, which stinks, but I, I believe in addressing problems <laughs> and, and things like this immediately and taking full responsibility for our actions <laughs> of delivering incorrect Witcher content. Why do you sound you. like uh, someone who is resigning? <laughs> from something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude my uh political career kicks off it, it's it ended as soon as it began yeah i'm running i'm running for office in uh in eight years so i just got practice now right yeah i well i say having a uh talking ill of your wife uh online is a great way to start <laughs> there's you know that's a great part about the internet it's so ephemeral you know it just you put something on there and people forget about it you, there's no way to trace it back to you so perfect platform oh. for that just the yeah. black hole of non-traceable things. Yeah, absolutely right. no way that can come back and bite you in the butt, man. You can trust yeah. me. Zero whatsoever. Nice, dude. Well, I'm in the clear. Uh, All right. <laughs> Before we crash this podcast into the an, an early grave, Ooh. you want to get started? Yeah, we, uh, we'll go ahead and go right into it. Um, episodes two and three, they pretty much fuse together, I would say, storyline-wise, but... It does get confusing, so we'll do our best. I don't I don't think it gets confusing until episode three. So we'll start with episode two, which is called Four Marks. And mm-hmm. marks are the coins that are used in this realm. So it's the currency, basically. Money, dollars, cents, gold, silver, valuables. Nice. Okay, I think that's all I got. Yeah, I think they got it, man. (laughs) Without a long pause in between there. But anyway, we are taken immediately into the episode. There's a young, very peasant-looking couple. Very pedestrian. Very, uh, you look at them and you're like, yeah, you know what? They're definitely commoners that could fit in any medieval setting. Yeah, agreed. These two. (laughs) They're running behind a barn and the guy has got some daisies and she's not a fan of daisies. She wanted roses, but of course, you know, that's probably not something uh, in the flower budget. So she takes them (laughs) and throws them on the ground and they start kissing and she's like, Oi, where's my daisy? And it's gone. It's no longer on the floor of the barn. And... They go into the two go into the barn and we get our first glimpse of a hunchbacked, purple eyed, dark haired hunchback. I think I already said that, but that's really good landing. (laughs) I want to emphasize via crash landing. We're already off to a great start, so might as well continue the crash. Absolutely. Um, And. This is where the couple kind of accuses her of spying on them and being weird. And they attack her and they're kind of 
sort of beating her up a little bit and she's uh, trying to resist and screaming. And suddenly she's, you hear this, ma- you know, the tall tale sign of magic being used or some sort of energy surge that you can audibly hear. And she's transported from the barn floor to another floor that's made of stone. And really that's, uh, that's how we get our introduction. Her name is Yennefer. We'll come to find out. Um, and she's in this new place. It looks like a basement and it's lined with skulls and bones and a man sitting there reading a book. And he looks at our young heroine and she said, he says, it looks like you portaled in basically transferring herself from one place to another via a portal in case you didn't know what a portal was. Thank God for you, Austin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for the people. I'm here for the people, man. Not everyone's going to know. Well, probably everyone will know, but you know, that's a just in case. I bet even your wife knows that. Yeah, probably, but it's okay. You trust, but verify. So I'm just, you know, I'm trusting that everyone knows, but verification via explanation. There we go. Love it. Easy peasy. Um, So the guy is kind of shocked. Uh, His name's Istrid. And he basically tells her, someone's going to come for you. You got a target on your back. Takes a bite out of a flower, opens a new portal, says, hey, it's untraceable. You're going back home. Like, leave now. Yennefer takes it. And she arrives back at home. So she starts doing her farmly duties again. She's got slop for the pigs which she was also called, uh, I believe, a pig earlier. And yikes, she's trying to bring that, do basically do her job. And her father figure is also out front and is saying, no, you don't need to do that. And Yennefer is saying, I want to. There's a tug of war for the slop. Uh, Yennefer loses her balance and it, the slop goes all over her. And as this is happening, we see a carriage um being drawn or no it's just a rider excuse me it's just a rider mm-hmm. on a horse and the woman walks up and she says how much for the girl and everyone would think oh they would you know he might hate her um but he wouldn't sell her well i guess she first she asked for the price of the pigs and yeah. he's like oh yeah, go I was to she, asked, she asked about the pigs first yep and then she – so directly implying that Yennefer is in herself a pig, but maybe even less so because the pigs cost about 10 marks. And when he asks for – she asks for the price of Yennefer, the father looks at her and says, four marks. We see the mother come out with three normal-looking kids and you know, not really Aww. trying to resist, but also you know, just half – halfway no you can't do that and this is where we kind of find out that yennefer is not the daughter true daughter of this man because he says there's no daughter of mine you know never was or or something along those lines um the woman is, is telling the man you know this woman's a witch you know what they will do but he doesn't care he wants his money meager mm. money austin hold on um, a second man what oh okay so Ooh, a couple things. Number one, they she is her she is the true daughter of this man. 
no, he, he's, he's, not. he's saying that he's saying that in a way that's just he's just trying to be ultimately dismissive of any tie to her. But she is his like our biological daughter. I I don't think so. I think you're wrong. No, and she we'll, is. we 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 no we find out in I believe it's episode. She's, I believe either. she she was born of a uh, I mean like out of wedlock, like out of not to the lady that not to the woman that uh, comes out with the rest of the kids. But I, I'm pretty sure this guy went and had an affair no. at some point, and this is the result. No, 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 you're Uh-oh. wrong, dude. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Wait, do we well, die first? Me. What's going on ben here? Connor is wrong according to the okay, Witcher. Well, hold season. on. Hold on. Let me uh let me just pull up my pants here for a sec. Uh I was gonna mention this at the beginning of the episode, but this is a good time. This story, so Yennefer's backstory, um, her sale, and you know, what happens in this episode, all of this was created for the show. So this is all brand new. In the books, the only thing we know about Yennefer is that Geralt realizes uh, during the last wish that she was formerly a hunchback, and that's he like empathizes with that and understands her in that way. But that's all we know about her backstory is that like one sentence. So this has all been invented, and it's cool. It's really really cool. Uh, So that hopefully partially explains why I don't know quite uh, as much as I thought I did. So please educate me though. Like who is she then? Well, maybe we should table it because I believe it's episode three where we find out where her true origins are and why she looks the way she does. So maybe we'll table this. We'll bookmark it and we'll bring it up in episode three because this is where it actually is revealed and it kind of makes sense. Um, Which, by the way, at. we are talking about later in this this episode of this podcast right now. So stay tuned. Yeah, yeah so stay tuned for the big moment that I, Austin, corrects him connor which in the <laughs> realm of wrong. things that happen dude i'm not wrong i know okay. for a fact that okay. i'm not wrong well i otherwise I just stop pulling my pants like up massive idiot but i don't know how much more than the one i already am all right so we'll bookmark that was there anything Bookmarked. else you wanted to add no that's a main or, thing just that this is this is all that. brand new lore yep so let's go okay bookmarking jennifer um she's taken to the castle of the sorceresses. There we go. See, I'm back, baby. Um, <laughs> Train wreck. <laughs> oh, no. Um, And she's beating on the door uh, to be let out. She's basically what seems to be like a prisoner. Um, she looks at herself in a mirror and smashes it with her fist, picks up a broken shard, raises it to her wrist, and then we... Uh, cut to a different scene. So it kind of looks like, okay, she's going to go out on her own terms and yeah. that's going to be that. But before we really know what's happening, we're transported to Siri running through the woods. There's the Nilf guardians are, are yelling her name, um, trying to recapture her. She does something really smart. She's got very noticeable silver hair and she covers it in mud. Basically, dyeing it in a way uh, to a a brownish color and she's hungry. So she's picking a berry from a bush and (laughs) something hits her to make her drop it. And she looks and there's a boy in the trees basically saying that these berries will poison her and not to eat them. And she is able to deduce that. Um, 
So they uh, end up making a fire and they're eating some rats. And mm. uh, she, t- yeah, my second favorite dish um, next to turtles. So just kidding. I don't think what? I've ever eaten turtle in my entire life. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't, it was like the first animal that was kind of strange, but I know you can eat. Like turtle soup, it's a thing. Never had it though, so. I don't think I anyway. have either. Not sure it exists. Not convinced. You know, I've actually heard it's kind of good, so maybe I need to. All right. Anyway. I'll get some today. Yeah. Um, She tells this boy that doesn't seem to be able to talk as she's running from a man with a big bird on his head, uh, who is Kay here, the, the sharpshooting arrow master. And they're, as they're walking through the forest, they find Sintrin flags. So her people, and she's super excited that she's back amongst her people. She starts running to them. And then the boy basically vanishes who she has decided to call rat boy, by the way. Yeah. How charming. Pretty brutal. How pretty brutal. How charming. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you don't have a, you know, you only have a, a certain quality that has been revealed, which is cooking rats. That's yeah, your own thing. But it's what are you going to call him? Branding. What are you call him? Mute boy? Hey, hey, mute boy. No. Okay. You're just like hey, Siri. Rat boy. You're just as bad as Siri. See? It's all a brand. I'm, I'm just saying, what do you call him? This is a basic marketing principle. Okay. You take you have to take what's essential from what uh, this 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 elf boy offers, which is uh, you don't know he's, he's elf, an elf boy though, so you okay, don't know sorry, that. Sorry, sorry. Siri could have noticed that he's resourceful. He he's knowledgeable of what's poisonous in the forest. Uh, he's a good hunter, good cook. Okay, this is about to be an eighteen syllable nickname. Oh my gosh! But no, she could have called him survivalist. That's too many. I'm joking, by the way. I, I would I would relish at the opportunity to take on the name of uh, Rat Boy. <laughs> That's actually the name of uh, my new band. How many bands are you starting, man? That's like the third one. Uh, That's the first one. Uh, remember, the record deal was last episode, and now we're here for this one. So oh, there you go. Oh, my best. Yeah, dude. Track my life better. You know, I don't know about the music industry. I, I call you my you friend. Yeah. This is embarrassing. But uh, speaking of friends in a weird way that we don't know about yet – we're in Posada in a tavern, and we meet our good friend, the Bard. We don't really know who he is yet, but he's twanging away at his lute, singing a song that nobody likes, and people start throwing food at him, um, which he's pocketing, uh, probably because he's hungry. It's not worth that, you know, the the bard life is not doing well for him. And he finds Geralt in the back of the corner and basically says, the creatures you're seeing about aren't real, which for someone to say the creatures you're seeing about aren't real in a world of tons and tons of creatures, like, come on, bard. What are you doing, man? <laughs> so like, get be awesome. better at your job. Austin, that's not the point of art. Art is, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, dude. But uh, I just think there's more value. (laughs) I just think there's some more value in the truth, like my opening statement about getting Geralt incorrect. You know, it's better. Yeah. Well, that's where we philosophically disagree, which is, it's perfect that we have a podcast together. (laughs) The, The yin and the yang. Yeah. It always is always helps, but uh, 
Yeah, he basically calls the bar trash to his face, doesn't care, and he's leaving, and a man approaches him, and he says a devil has been stealing their grain, and he wants Geralt to kill it. So the man offers him a hundred uh, ducat, or ducat, another currency form. Um, Geralt, they're not called dukies. They're, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're called dukies, man. Dude, you can trust me. I'm the I'm the brain. Yeah, right, dude. You don't you didn't even know on your first interjection. You're wrong. You're probably just I wrong. still think I'm right. Here's the thing. I still think I'm dude, right. You're not, but let's go. You're I want to get to right. that part. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> go. Um Garrett gets the price up to 150 and sets off to hunt the devil and the bard um Dandelion or Yaskir as uh He's so dandelion in the games is that reference there. Um, Mm -hmm. Yaskir is his name here in the show, and he's going to tag along. And they are off on their journey to find the quote-unquote devil. And he – so the bard is – you know, Yaskir is pretty clueless. Um, Initially, he calls Geralt the Butcher of Blaviken, which obviously Geralt does not want – to be called, and the response to that is a swift Witcher punch <laughs> into his gut, and you hear the loot twang as well as this hit happens, which is <laughs> just also hilarious. <laughs> so it's just kind of like basically, I think the Bard is like us. You know, we are the Bard, and uh, you know, no one gets to be Geralt because we're not cool enough. <laughs> so um, uh, a couple uh, a couple notes here, Austin. Uh huh. So in the books, it's just always been assumed that Geralt. And uh, Dandelion, as you say, uh, have always been friends. Uh, there's no, they don't have any introduction to each other. They don't have a meet and greet. Uh, and I actually really like that they did in the show. I think that was really cool. The name Yaskier, uh, that's not a random name, actually. His original name in the Polish uh, text is Yaskier. And it, oh. it, the tra- like the translation to English, it's... Uh, I kind of forgot, but it's just as silly as dandelion. It's I think it's a it's an animal, but it's like it's like a pet name for an animal. So it's like Pookie or something like you would call a dog. <laughs> so they pretty much had their choice of stupid names for this character. I think it probably was for the best to call him Yaskier because that actually sounds like a name. Dandelion would just well, I don't know. I mean, it works in the games. You just you kind of forget that dandelion's a silly name, but. Maybe for the show, and especially maybe for a wider audience, I think it was probably a better idea to call him yeah. Yaskier. That's cool. They're drawing from the origin. But after that switch uh, gut punch, undeterred, blind to the imminent threat of the Witcher, he's kind of reminds me of uh, the, the duo almost like Shrek and Donkey. Shrek doesn't want to be involved, <laughs> and, and Donkey is just like, hey, I'm here to party. Oh, no. I hate basically, how accurate that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, he's like, no. he takes that punch and he's like, ah, I'm going to write so many good songs about you and people are going to be singing them all the time. And Geralt is like ignoring him. Dude, wow. What a comparison. It's great. It's kind of like our um, friendship, man. Who's the donkey, ooh. though? That's what I was just trying to think about. <laughs> <laughs> well, never Because know. I like donkey. Like, donkey is like... A good character. I like him. Okay. I think we're both donkeys. Well, Which does that allude to us being jackasses? Like we're just both that? Welcome to the know. Jackass yeah. Podcast. Uh 
I'm Donkey. Ooh, it's my can't... co-host Donkey. <laughs> Dude, I'm pretty sure that's trademarked. Is there a Jackass podcast? Uh, there's the massive amount of movies. That's true. Hey guys, this is the Joe Rogan Experience. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <Okay. Let's, laughs> I'm sorry. Let's go. Let's go. Um, so we're back. We're back with uh, Yennefer. So we're in Artuza, which is the magical academy for the ladies. Um, and it's run by Tissaia DeVries. Um, she is the head mage. Uh, or do you call – would the correct terminology be the head sorcerer? Like a headmaster. Headmaster, okay. Um, it's a really cool location. Looks like it's got water views, um, kind of an island, a defendable fortress. So, you know, pretty decent spot uh, where they're at practicing their magic. Austin. And what? Austin, why did you say that like a real estate agent? It's got water views, really nice spot. <laughs> Great yeah, I'm for trying to magic. describe something that people may have already seen, but just what if they haven't? Well, I'm just what if they no, just want I, another visual, man. I'm just I'm trying to bring you some flair. You were doing a good job, and while you were saying that, I was like, "Do I need to buy some property?" Yeah, Maybe dude, you might need to. Somewhere. You might, might need to think about it. Maybe I should live somewhere where there's water views. Damn. Yeah. Preferably defendable castle <laughs> as well. It's like a bonus. Yeah. Um, so we're here at the tower and you see Yennefer has bandages on her wrist because Tissaia is walking by and Jennifer, Yennefer's like, you should have let me die. Um, and you see the bloody bandages. Um, so you, we've already a great start with the uh, headmaster there. Um, they're in a greenhouse, and it's kind of like a different series of tests to test magical ability. Um, Tissaia calls it the aptitude for channeling chaos. So chaos is the magic source in this world, which I think everybody knows what chaos is in their own way. So just think about that, and that's magic in this world. Um, they're trying to make a rock float in the air. That's the first test. And honestly... This is kind of where we get our understanding of how magic works in this world. And I really, really enjoy how this concept Mm -hmm. of magic is used in The Witcher. The first girl that gets the rock lifted is getting really excited, but her hand literally dies. It withers and dies, which we come to find out that there is a price to pay for utilizing magic. And it is um, basically any living thing. So that's why there's daisies there. You use the daisy to channel the living energy basically from that flower into what you want it, the magic to be, the chaos to be, which is lifting the rock. The daisy dies and you lift the rock. So it's really, you know, you can have very powerful, uh, you know, mages, wizards, sorceresses, whatever, but there's just not this, at least, the understanding right now is there's not really an ability to just be unlimited, you know, just unlimited power because everything comes with a price and I'm, mm-hmm. you can kind of extrapolate that the bigger the spell or the more it does, the more life force it's going to need. So then you cross moral lines you can kill humans, you can kill big animals, trees. Like I love that. I actually absolutely love 
that concept of yeah. magic in in The Witcher. Love it. The conjunction of spheres is the historical event that brought magic into the world. Uh, and that is the same across all the different lore sets for The Witcher, whether it's the books, the games, or the show. I also like this introduction to, we'll say, the Law of Equivalent Exchange, which is a shout-out to uh, Full Metal Alchemist, which is that's how their magic system works as well. In order to create something, something of equal value must be destroyed or consumed. So uh, I agree with you, Austin. This brings a certain structure to magic. We can expect uh, different uh, power levels based on the consumption. So it, it puts a nice a nice uh, constraint to, to magic, and it makes magic more meaningful now that they have to consume resources and they have to be more tactical about what they're consuming. And it seems to take it out of them as well. So I think all in all, a pretty nice change because otherwise it wasn't a huge issue in the uh, in the books or games, but you really did have mages just going around doing pretty much whatever they wanted at any point. At a certain point, it got, it kind of becomes like that issue that Dragon Ball Z had, where if you recall, power levels were a really, really big thing, but mm-hmm. they were like, oh, like, you know, everybody knows, of course, it's over 9,000, but then you're getting power levels like in the multi-millions and I don't even know how how high they go. So I always enjoy magic systems that put limits on things. And now you have, as like a writer, you have to be creative and you have to really think hard about how magic's going to work if you want to progress it and make it stronger and more powerful. So definitely, definitely a cool change. But unfortunately for Yennefer, which is not cool, is her inability to move the rock. Her classmates are beginning to make them levitate via the life force of the daisy and she can't do it. She begins to get more frustrated. And this is kind of the dynamic we'll, we seem to have with Tissaia and Yennefer. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but as Yennefer is in unable to move the rock, I believe Tissaia says something along, along the lines of sometimes um, flowers are do nothing for us, but are good to die. So, or something along those lines. Um, so essentially saying like, not everyone's going to have power or if you have untapped chaos, you can't use it. Like the best thing for you to do is die or, you know, be eliminated uh, out of the world, which maybe translates to if there's less, um, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Less people to be able to harness chaos that they, have more control. I don't know. That's just something I thought of. That's probably incorrect, but it makes sense in my head. So we're going to roll with it. Okay. That's interesting. I'll have to think about that. Um, so Yennefer storms out. She can't move the rock. Uh, you see her cross a bridge and she goes back to the stone chamber that she portaled into at the very beginning of the episode. And I'm just going to name this place right now because I'm going to forget later. So this place is called Torlara, uh, the tower of the gull, Nice, which is quote the most potent place on the continent it's off limits except to the brotherhood of sorcerers which makes sense there's a male who is a sorcerer in there so i'm just gonna get that out of the way so i don't have to explain it when it actually comes in because i will 100 percent forget um and she goes back yeah yennefer goes back um to talk to let me see. I can't remember his name. Oh, boy. Istrid? Uh, Istrid, yes. And she Big says, mom. you're right. Good job. 
she was you're right she found me um and i think this is kind of where we see the beginnings of you know i don't know they a uh, friendship a connection which i think we can extrapolate that yennefer has never had before uh at any level so good for her mm-hmm. for building a friend uh meanwhile speaking of friends again now we know they're uh one way friends um yasker to Geralt. They're traveling deeper into a place called Dol Blathana, a region that was once ruled by the elves. Um, I think through the episode, we kind of get some information about how the uprising in Sintra of the elves and how Kalenthi, maybe not Kalenthi, but the Sintran royalty basically killed off the elves for their uprising and the elves are thought of as lesser than the humans as well. So really the humans on this continent are very racist against other species. Um, Not great. Ain't it always, ain't it always the way though that is just the most consistent through line of any medieval high fantasy thing. Humans are racist and they kill everybody. I mean, not, not entirely untrue, I guess, (laughs) but Right. It's just, it just seems, it seems to always pop up. Um, this is, and then this is a, a fun little part. Uh, so Geralt and Yaskir, as they are, you know, they, Geralt gets off Roach, uh, seems to have come onto the trail of the quote unquote devil. And Yaskir is, oh, <laughs> Yaskir Dude. is, did you hear that? Yeah, I certainly did. I was like, it's, it's a Sylvan. <laughs> Watch out. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna right? hit you with a pebble. Essentially, Yasir gets worried that the devil actually there's a devil that does exist, and um, really, it doesn't. Geralt is like, there's no such thing. It's called a uh, Sylvan, which is a rare uh, satire-like satire, right? Satire-like species, satyr. like a goat satyr. Oh boy, satire's the satyr literal is a literary- use. Satire is a literary device uh, employed to make a commentary about something using humorous tones. Yeah, so like me calling shit. I, I all I can think about is satire. But I was basically going to try and say my use of satire and satire oh or God. whatever. This episode, dude. dude. <laughs> We're killing it, man. What? This episode's going to have five downloads. <laughs> it's big. It's big. Um, but essentially Geralt gets into a fight with this thing after getting some pebbles to the face which pisses him off and I guess uh, satyrs are typically stupid and that would make Geralt killing this thing not a problem but it's able to articulate that it's actually intelligent and through a, a brief scrum Geralt does realize that it is intelligent and we all know his code of we don't kill intelligent creatures. So he's like, all right, I'm not going to kill you, but you can't stay here. And our goat, who is Torque, uh, I don't know if I mentioned that, basically says, neither can you. And this is when we get a swift kick or hit to the head and all goes black. So Geralt and Yaskir finding themselves in trouble. Someone that out of trouble is Siri, who is, remember, found her people, the the Sintran refugees, um, and she's kind of taken in by a family uh, that seems to be of higher standing or previously higher standing. Uh, the 
uh, patriarch of the family, had worked in the royal court. I believe he made the shoes for the royal family or the robes. The robes. The, maybe the robes. It's the robes and capes. Robes and capes. Um, yep. So this family seemed to have some money, and she runs into one of the sons that has elven ears around his neck, and she's kind of asking about that, and uh, the guy says, oh, well, yeah, you know, I my brother was in the war and killed so many elves and died. So, you know, basically doesn't like elves because of this previous war. Again, humans, racist, uh, murderers, hate elves. I that just, oh, hold on. That would not be true. If that was, I feel like if it was real life, or maybe this is a modern thing, but I feel like if there was elves right now, not only would the internet be obsessed with them, but we would also elect them to pretty much every political position, I think. Like, right? Like, it just, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's just... Because here's the issue I with think, elves. Here's the issue with elves. Elves, again, another through line of elves is they're super elegant. They're always highly uh, connected to the nature. They're super knowledgeable, really smart. In a couple uh, types of fantasy literature, they're also, like pseudo invincible like really good fighters they're always like better but then somehow they also suck i don't know it's just a trope that i i struggle with i struggle believing because knowing what i know about humans if they came across elves they'd be like sweet please be my president like i'm ready to be ruled by elves <laughs> like take over my life well i guess actually the the opposite side of that is I think humans in in general are very hesitant to new things, to change like that, especially something that they're not familiar with like that, like elves, like who are they? What are they? They're not us. So I think I get the, uh, what is it? The, the value of the, you know, humans kind of being the dominant. I mean, you know, today, obviously we are the dominant species, but, um, I think that just goes against, you know, human nature in itself of an us versus them mentality. And I don't know if that's like an instinctual thing or what, but I get it. If Legolas, if Legolas came to your door right now and he's like, give me your wallet and your best pair of shoes, you wouldn't do it. I would. I'd be like, why would I do it? So essentially... So this is what the, this is the approach you need to take. You don't know what or who Legolas is. You have a strange man in weird clothing with pointy ears and long hair coming to your door demanding to steal from you. You don't say okay to that. And that's what I'm talking about. Well, here's the thing, Austin. I guess we'll never know. Unless we hire Orlando Bloom to get back in the costume. <laughs> And do a randomized double blind test of 500 American households. And then we'll see who's right. Okay. I'm putting 50 bucks on that if that actually happens. Just saying. Okay. I'm not even going to acknowledge that. In addition to the millions, in addition to the millions of dollars we would need to raise to hire Orlando Bloom to do a multi-month, perhaps multi-year study. But other than that, 50 bucks on it. Again, I don't believe I'm going to entertain this idea at all. Okay. So there. Uh, I guess you lost already. So, anyway, so Siri runs into this family and she gets taken in and she, because of her robe, 
the family assumes that she was of a high class, which the mother of this family, you can obviously tell she's very snobby towards that. And they start talking mad shit about Kalenthi, her grandmother, blaming her for the invasion, for the elves, for their problems. Very typical human struggle, blame the leader kind of thing. And Kalenthi, or excuse me, Siri's got to just keep her mouth shut because obviously if she says anything, it's really not going to bode very well for her. So she's got a, a mental struggle of her own. And then as struggles are concerned, we're back at the tower of the gull where a storm is raging. And, um, to is instructing the girls to capture lightning in a bottle, which I really love that, uh, was that a cliche? Lightning in a bottle, you know, calling someone a saying a colloquialism, a saying, yeah. And I think it's important. I forgot to mention that um, Jennifer failed another test of sorcery, which incl- which was basically trying to read the other person's mind, and she isn't able to do it, but is able to read Istrid's mind when she sees him again because of their more comfortable connection, I think, versus the pressure of to say a breathing down Yennefer's neck. So I forgot. I'm pretty sure that happened before this lightning in the bottle scene. So um, anyway, so to is explaining that lightning energy is probably one of the most true and pure chaotic forms of magic ever, which makes sense because lightning strikes are immensely chaotic. If you just think about them, uh, the mages who contain their emotions, or excuse me, the ones that can contain it, have, basically can control their power. Um, and she throws in, she starts just throwing in students. So the first student gets uh, zapped, um, doesn't catch Yikes. the lightning, gets big time zapped. Um, the next person is, so I was right, The is Jennifer's partner, I guess, like a, when you have to pair up and do assignments in class, this was the yeah. person that Yennefer was paired with to read her mind and she couldn't do it. And she lied about it and to say it caught her. So obviously with some hesitation, Yennefer's like, you can do it. So she puts her vial up and catches the lightning, brings it down and explodes in her face. Not great. So the worst science orders, class ever. Yeah. To say orders Yennefer to do it and it nope it doesn't happen Jennifer gets hit with lightning um and then to say orders one of the students that I think is like a top in her class to do it and to show everyone what uh what true power is or the ability to control your emotions that kind of a thing and she does it she captures the lightning and it's really cool um I mean quite literally lightning in a bottle which uh, you don't see every day. No, you do not. Um, the class kind of, or, you know, as she catches the lightning and is looking at it and Tessaia is singing her praises, Yennefer is waking up from her lightning strike and really gets angry. And I guess she harnessed the power of the lightning, but not in the way she was supposed to. And she, she essentially tries to shoot it at this girl and Tessaia has to deflect it. And this is where we get, uh, you know, everyone is leaving. So everyone has lightning in a bottle except for the three girls we saw fail. 
Um, they're carrying the girl that got struck initially. The other girl's got scars all over her face. And then Yennefer. Yennefer stopped by Tissaia. And this just continues the narrative that Tissaia does not believe in Yennefer, if at all. Saying there are mages who contain their emotions. And then there are mages like us who are consumed by them. So, oh, so back up. Not that she doesn't believe. But essentially, maybe they were one and the same at one point. But Tissaia controls her emotions and while Yennefer is very expressive. And mm-hmm. if you don't control your emotions and you let the chaos run, run through, then you can't do your job, which we find out a little bit later of, you know, what mages do in this realm. So maybe we're improving a little bit, but to say, but you know, it was a wreck, you know, her action was reckless. It could have gotten somebody killed, um, right. pure emotion. And essentially what's going to happen when a king goes against what your recommendation is and hurts your little feelings. Well, you're going to, you know, kill them all or, or, you know, cry or whatever. So uh, uh, emotion plays a a big role in the magic realm, at least in a certain aspect that's being taught. I I think, I think to say has, she definitely sees the potential in Yennefer and Yennefer is definitely being positioned at this point in the story as a character, as a, a fledgling mage that has, ultimate raw power she's basically the top athletic pick but you know can is she coachable can she be coached into like a high position of power at like advisor role uh so i think she has she believes in her power but maybe not her ability to control that power yeah and i mean it it makes sense right so um again i I just think the magic aspect of the Witcher is so awesome because it's just not something that you can willy nilly, you know, your emotions play into it of how controlled and precise and, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like that aspect a lot. We go back to Geralt who wakes up from the strike in the head and he discovers that he and Yasker are tied together. They're prisoners and a woman comes in and starts beating on them. And he realizes that uh, they're elves. So they're prisoners of, Rebel elves, and I think somewhere in the episode we we mentioned of how Philavandril was exiled for his uprising of the elves, and they were uh, almost essentially eradicated. And we actually get to meet Philavandril. He comes in after <laughs> basically a lot of punching and hitting and yeah. kicking of Geralt and Yaskier, and it's always just really funny when Yaskier gets hit um, because it's just he's just a funny guy. Yeah. You know, just one of those guys is, is just funny. So you like seeing people in pain, dude. That's that's your thing. I get it. That's well, that's uh slapstick comedy, is it not? Yeah, dude. It's this is the next iteration of uh <laughs> the the three stooges, except it's the two stooges. But the, really only one of them's a stooge. It's one stooge and one normal guy. <laughs> but he's not really a normal guy, so it's like no, one stooge and guy. one freak. <laughs> there you go. The stooge and the, the freak. Stooge and the freak. That's our next Perfect. podcast, guys. Please tune in to Stooge and the Freak every Wednesday morning. Huge. Where we get we get tied Dude. up and beat up by people. That sounds like a <laughs> that sounds like a sex thing. All right. Wow. So they meet Philavandrel and this other elf. So basically what we learn, we get a very big dialogue of you know, Philavandrel's the king, but doesn't want to be by choice. They talk about the great cleansing where humans learn magic from elves which we need to bookmark that as well. Um, and then they humans turned it against them, driving them from their homes. Um, and there's basically a big 
discussion, uh, obviously the elves feel very, um, I guess remiss is that if that's the correct word of their treatment. And obviously they feel exiled um, for being different. And there's, they keep referring to Geralt and Yaskier as two humans. And Geralt is vehemently denying that he is human because we know he's not. And he experiences the same discrimination as well. And essentially talks to uh, Phil Evangel and says, look, you either, you have to move on for your people if you can't move on, you need to accept it. Like, you know, like me, I've accepted living with the humans and I, you know, it is what it is. Your people need you if you need to like run and, and become stronger elsewhere for your people. But you can't just sit here and grudge while everybody dies. He's like, you know, like, I don't really care what the outcome of this is. You know, yeah, I'm ready to die. I will die, but don't call me a human. And that is the kind of echoing line for Phil Evangel because it looks like he's about to kill them. And Torque, the satyr, is like, don't kill him. He's not human. He's right about that. I'm an intelligent creature, blah, blah, blah. And essentially, Phil Evangel lets him go because I think there's this internal understanding and struggle that he's trying to pin on Yaskir and Geralt. But, I mean, Geralt truly is not a human and experiences these same discriminations day to day as the elves did. And, you know, he can't exact revenge on somebody that it goes through the same hardships as him. So he lets him go. And I basically, I think he agrees. um, They're going to take a, they're going to step back slightly in there. They're going to take the grain that they have stolen and they're just going to leave. You know, they're not going to continue doing what they're doing now, but they're going to leave and go. And uh, Torque says, hey, yeah, you, uh, you know, you got, you were spared and um, we, uh, we get Yaskir um, kind of talking about like, hey, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna write about this song a little bit. But um, before we get into too much detail, this is where I'm going to tell you that you were wrong earlier, Connor. So you don't have to wait till episode three because it happens okay. right now. Let's go. So... We go back to Yennefer. Um, she's meeting with Istrid in the Tower of the Gull. And remember, we bookmarked how elves taught humans magic. Right. So Istrid is talking to Yennefer about how the humans took the elves' knowledge of magic and then basically killed them for it. And that the skulls in the chamber are all the dead elves. Um, and he says, basically, like the flower that they used only grows where the elves are dead. And, and this is why they're kind of like organized here as the masters, original masters of, of magic. And this is where we get where Connor was wrong, because Yennefer confides in Istrid, telling him that her real father was half elf and died in the great cleansing. And that's why she looks the way she does. Because, or rather, she is half elf. Her father was elven, I believe. Um, And his blood is why she's cursed with a twisted spine. And that is why she is only worth four (laughs) marks. So she has elven blood in her, which is why she looks messed up. Because the cross breeding of human and elves. And this is what happened. Boom. Eat that. Dude, I totally did not remember that part at all it is a huge part dude it it is how do you not remember that part that is such a huge part in the next episode of why 
Yennefer does some things, and it's because of this. Dude, how do you not remember? This is this is like a Dude, major totally plot do not point. Remember. Well, because it's 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 all brand new. So like I have my I have my set of of what I consider, you know, my knowledge about Yennefer from the other sources of Witcher media. And then it's it's hard to it's it's honestly it's been hard to integrate all the new lore. It it's not because the new lore is like is trying to erase or like step on the toes of all the old stuff. It's just it's just they seem like minor details because I already feel like I know who Yennefer is. So I'm oh, not hungry dude. to understand her origins as much, but it is so, so this might be actually a big, because then you watch the episode incorrectly. Like your understanding of the episode was wrong from this point onward, because you thought you knew Jennifer and you don't. What? Well, at least maybe the next episode of why she does the things she's, she does. And so, you know, I mean, she has elven boy. blood. Like in the books, you hear a little bit that she has open blood, but it's descended from her uh, mother's side, which is why I thought well, that was her actual dad. <laughs> I thought I thought he was just being untrue, and he he saw a nice elven lass at the at the pub one night, and he's like, "All right, I'll try it." And then he was like, "I really regret that. I'm so ashamed." And then he has Jennifer, and then it, you know he's just consumed with with guilt. And just, how would he, he have Jennifer? Disgusting. I, see, see th- that has so many holes. Oh my gosh! No, wrong. Eh. What do you mean? You're it telling has holes? me that you are telling me that this random dude was like, "Hey, I'm just gonna try sleeping with an elf," and the elf gets pregnant, but he chooses. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm never doing that again," and just disappears. But then somehow obtains Jennifer after her birth. Uh, no, what? Dude, no, the affa- I was so saying the, the affair lasted. The holes in your in this this maybe yeah maybe he left and then this elven lady had Yennefer and then she, maybe her life is rough and she shows up at the door one day and she's like this is your child and then she pieces out and he's like well I'm not going to treat her like my daughter but I guess she can feed my pigs that's kind of what I, I thought was going I think on. I think if you backpedal any harder you might tell, tear your Achilles <laughs> oh my god. All right. Wow. Beer. Okay. Medieval beer is a hell of a drug and it really can make anybody do anything. And, uh, I think, I think my theory is plausible if I, (laughs) but obviously I just forgot that she said my real father. I don't even remember that part. Dude, it is such what the hell's a big, wrong with me. I well, this is why it's remember. this is this is why it's such a big point because they Istrid and Yennefer share a kiss, but essentially Yennefer leaves and our old buddy Stregobor comes in and talks to Istrid, basically saying, you know, you've been working on her for months. You have to have something on her because I think everyone's realizing that Yennefer is becoming powerful and uh, Tisea is doing a good job with her. And this is where Istrid tells Stregobor that Yennefer's father was half elf. And um, this is like a big piece of, uh, you know, of Yennefer's storyline. And obviously she had never told anyone before. And the fact that that confidence was broken when you thought Yennefer had a friend is, is a big deal. But I guess on the other side too, Yennefer could be playing Istrid because – um, the flower that Istrid gives her because she initially she wanted to leave 
you know, and portal out, never be found again when mm-hmm. her hardships are happening. He gives her one of the flowers and the flower. I'm going to butcher the hell out of this. Whew. I think it's a Fianna wed. Ooh, that's a flower. Uh, you know, I, I can't help you out there. Actually. I really, I don't know that one either. Wow, dude, you are useless this episode. Um, <laughs> but basically it's the, the flower that's got magical properties and you can't track the portals you know, so we see that Yennefer gives it to Tissaia, um, and essentially it was a test to see if Yennefer would control her motions, which she passed. And then you you hear Yennefer ask, does this mean I get to ascend? Um, which we come to understand the ascension is when they go from students to um, being in court with royalty yep. and, and helping graduation. make these. Uh, yeah, gra- ex- exactly. Graduation. Um, so she's waiting, she wants to ascend and she hears to say a knocking on doors and bringing girls out. And she thinks Jennifer, she skipped Jennifer for Ascension. Um, so she sneaks out and she goes to the same, uh, area where the lightning strikes were happening. And we see to say turn these three girls into eels. And then we, Ooh. we figure out, um, uh, that, through Tissaia, she explains what she had said very early in the flower or the flower rock exercise about how the best things that flower some flowers can do for them is to die. And it's this right here because we learn that the turning into the eel essentially eliminates the control of the chaos that these girls have, but they're still conduits. And yeah. Um, Jennifer asks is asked to push them into the pool and when they are you see the pulse and energy go in the pool it spreads along the really cool building like along the sides Um, so essentially recharging the the lighting um, for outside which is really cool but essentially you get that the you see that this understanding of what is meant when to say I said that earlier in the episode and Essentially, Yennefer understands like, okay, I'm, I am truly being chosen for Ascension and, you know, the understanding that these girls were probably less powerful and they would not have been able to do much. And you see like a ton of eels in there. It's not just the three. It, there's more than the three in there. So, right. Um, former. Exactly. So this is a, a long lasting tradition of eliminating the weak so you eliminate extra conduits of control of chaos and also fuel your magic pool as is it's uh, explained by Tissaia so a lot to unpack right there but um, that that is truly where I think uh, the source of their control comes from and why they have to constantly feed it kind of like a recharging of a battery so to speak you can only use so much power until you start running low but the endless cycle of weaker mages and weaker sorceresses and you you feed the machine baby more meat for the meat grinder yikes uh kind of a scary premise but one that i think fits very well into the witcher universe it's a brutal universe and this is honestly this feels like uh this feels like source material even though it's not it really does feel like source material and i have to applaud them uh, on staying true to the universe and the, you know, the brutal nature of magic in the, uh, you know, to that all these mages rely on. Uh, before we move on to the last little part of this episode uh, with Siri, I just want to say for people who are interested or starting to read the books, you must 
you must read and pay attention to the edge of the world. That is what uh, Geralt and Yaskier's storyline in this episode comes from. And while they do a decent job, and again, they're, they're, they're short on time in, in the show. That's always going to be an issue. The original story, there's so much more to it. There's a couple more characters, one of them being the arguably the main character of this story. That's she was uh, she wasn't included in the show, and I I get why they did it, but there's a whole other level to this story with uh, you know Philavandrol and why the elves receded. Uh, and there's a reason why the story is called The Edge of the World. I don't want to give too many book spoilers because I, I, I really want to encourage people to read that. But please, please give the books a chance. If if you like the show at all, please give the books a chance. They're not going to destroy what you love about the show in any means, but they are definitely going to add to it. And The Edge of the World is one of my favorite stories from the first two books. So keep that in mind. All right, Siri time. Yes. So, and I just want to add one more thing about how you you just said the way the magic works is almost kind of a brutal way of the weak die and the strong survive. But I just think the episode does such a good job of building up the, I don't know if the presence of the strong is the right word, but essentially everything leading up to this moment of the eels and the pool when it happens and it's truly revealed what she had meant earlier in the episode about flowers, sometimes all they can do for them is die Mm -hmm. and just everything in between. And then the explanation of how it's the loss of control to fuel the machine, so to speak, even though that's a very brutal way to put it, it, it's almost like uh, everything leading up to it makes us just so much more understanding. Like you said, Connor, Everything has a reason and the purpose is sound. Like you don't even second guess this happening. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know what? I This makes so much sense and I, I like how they're doing this. I like this ebb and flow of things. But it's not even like three human lives were literally just lost. Like that, I mean, not they're not dead, but they're eels, and they'll never, you know, they don't have any free will yeah. essentially. But no one talks about that. It's it's just like it's just like they are now just a part of the magic essentially, and it's just so graceful. You know, it's just very a very well done leading up because the whole episode it's just like this pounding on Yennefer, and then she's learning these lessons, and we get to this resolution of the strong survive essentially, but it's not one of those, you know, phrases where the strong survive by killing the weak off and they're brutal and, and all that. But it's literally like uh, they literally, they are useless. You know, they can't go back and, and, and be, you know, witches or mages. They, they can't have that power. They can't even harness it. We can't give them an advisory role. Then what do they do? Well, they can still help us by essentially this and it just, Batteries. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird because like the way that you go through at to this resolution is just like, I don't know. You just, you're not like, Oh my gosh, these girls, you're like, yeah, where are the other girls that suck? Put them in there too. This, this, I like this. It's weird. It's a very weird thing. (laughs) Well, you would have fit in with the brotherhood of sorcerers pretty well. I think Austin, uh, dude, nice. I I enjoyed, so the writing's sharp and I, you know, I enjoy that, but, uh, I enjoyed that scene mostly as an expression of to as, machinations and her cunning 
because, you know, that's why I said earlier, I think she believes in the power of Yennefer, certainly, but she was worried, I think, about her ability to her ability to control it. So for her to kind of leave lead Yennefer on this, uh, not a not a fruitless like goose chase or anything, but she's, you know, like you said, beating on Yennefer pretty hard and being super, super tough on her. It's it's all been for this moment. You know, she she's been shaping and, you know, building Yennefer to be this powerful expression, not only of, you know, her as her student, but just as a powerful mage in general. I think she really, in a way, sees Yennefer as beautiful in that regard. So to say is a very interesting character. And I think I think she's probably going to make a return. You think so? Yeah, I think she will. Um, But essentially to uh, wrap up the episode. Um, we're we're back at the Sintran camp, and the Nilf Guardians have found them, so they're slaughtering everybody per usual. The rich family, the son is killed via arrows. The mother actually gets stabbed to death by like a dwarf elf that she was like bullying. Yeah. Servant, she, yeah, servant. She treated yeah, poorly, and he was like, "All right, this is a perfect chance to take out my aggression on you." See ya. Yep. Stab, 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 find herself out of this camp it's being overrun and she she runs into black to rat boy he he comes back for her to to save her out of this and you see k here is there looking for her um who we find out rat boy is actually an elf called dara um but he leads her to safety um out of this camp and and essentially they have you know they there there's a new friendship there he's no longer rat boy so but he saves siri again um but we're we're taken back to the end of the episode which i think now will potentially be one of the more iconic scenes because um it's dolplathana Geralt and yaskir riding away they survived their encounter with the elves um Geralt ended up giving the coin um for quote unquote slaying the devil, but basically tell him to leave. Um he gives a coin to them for the elves. Mm-hmm. And uh you know he it's Geralt's kind of a nice guy and the pair's riding into the sunset and uh Yaskir composes his new song and um if I'm not mistaken, Connor, toss a coin to your Witcher. What a Is banger. What a song. Oh my God. Who who would have thought that that, that would be one of the biggest uh, takeaways from the Witcher series on Netflix is like the, a, a song, like a bard song. It's not even produced in a modern way, obviously. And it just did numbers on the internet. I mean, people love that song. People who didn't even watch the show like that song. Before we get that, the key catchphrase of the song or the chorus, I, I guess you could say, um, he's composing it. Uh, with Geralt there telling the story of the devil and the elves and he's telling it incorrectly and Geralt's like that's not how that happened and the bard essentially is like I know but you know it doesn't make a good story the way it happened wait he yeah beef it up. hold on he just proved my point like, from earlier ha ha <laughs> <laughs> okay I guess that means I'm donkey then oh no <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he uh he goes through and yeah, they ride off in the sunset with toss a coin to your witcher, which is now a, a big deal, a big song. And and that's really how 
episode two ends. Um, we have Yennefer, the introduction of Yennefer, who is a massive character in the Witcher universe. Um, and the continuation of Geralt, the introduction of his bard friend, Yaskier or Dandelion, depending on your outlet. Um, yep. And the uh, furtherment of Siri and her plight, essentially. So a lot, a lot happening, but uh, yeah, a, a good episode. Um, nonetheless, um, I, you know, I'll tell you what, as a guy that only knowledge of the Witcher was the Witcher three, the, the game. And obviously Yennefer in the game is hot and seeing <laughs> Yennefer in this show, I'm like, yeah, she's hot. Can't wait. And this is who she is. I was like, Whoa! No, babe. Oh, you didn't know. Okay. Wait, no, wait, babe. No, babe. Wait, babe. No, babe. No, babe. No, no. That was me. Hot rodding it up. Watch that last night. That's why I'm saying it. But I mean, that was literally. I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. And then I think I remembered like a little sliver of info from the game where it talks about Yennefer's past, and I'm like, this must be it. This sucks, man. Wow. Okay, so, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because it does suck. Not not like not the story, not my enjoyment of it, but man, they really went hard on Yennefer's backstory. Like that it is brutal. Like uh my uh I forget who I was talking to, but she was like I had to stop watching. It was too brutal. It was too sad. Like everything about her backstory, it just is garbage in terms of in terms of her life like okay let's just let's just recap uh she was born with a very painful and uh uh disfigurement that brought a lot of ridicule from everybody around her her stepfather or her real father for the real for the real fans out there um wrong uh yeah anyway um hates her uh she's worse less she's worth less than a pig uh she gets beat up by people as soon as they see her <laughs> as we saw at the beginning of the episode They're like hey who's that let's kill her <laughs> <laughs> she sucks at magic uh nobody believes in her everybody thinks she's uh, a garbage mage and then all of her friends turn into eels and the one friend that she confides in betrays her secret immediately yeah also her love is a lie well not totally uh, Istrid is an interesting guy. He, I think they casted him very well. That guy has striking eyes. I couldn't, I mean, I can't stop looking at his eyes. I think I might have a crush That's, on that guy, dude. That Oh, oh. Well, I yeah. don't blame you. Yeah, his eyes are mystical. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same wavelength there. But uh, he is not part, obviously, of the, the books until a later story, which I'm sure will be covered at some point in the next season. But I think it was a smart choice to introduce him in Unifer's backstory. But yeah, so brutal for her. I just dude, it's a brutal backstory, but as we'll find in this episode and in, in episode three, yeah, it truly defines who Yennefer is as a person. And without this harsh backstory, I don't think we get our true Yennefer, at least in my mind, because you see a lot of what's going on with her and it just it just makes so much sense the way she is and how she is through the rest of the show, to be honest. Yeah. So while brutal, it serves its purpose. 
not all this is not the case for everybody but it certainly is a case for a lot where they have you know they had difficult childhoods or they've overcome and they've they had to be become pretty mature pretty fast so i i buy it and i i do think it does it does add to my understanding of Jennifer e- even outside the show too i think it's i think it makes sense overall yeah and we'll we'll get the full understanding here as we go ahead and we dive into Episode three of Betrayer Moon is the title name. Um, And it opens with a young boy who looks pretty dirty. um, So it could be a commoner. We're we're not really sure as of this moment. And it looks like he's struggling. He's sweating. um, And he's trying to – he's struggling to form words. um, And essentially he's whispering or rasping really, um, you know, it it comes on a full moon. To feed, and we get the the camera pans out, and we see this massive three, uh, I guess what a, a a three marking claw mark, just this immensely deep lacerations on this guy's chest, mm-hmm. and we understand, okay, yeah, he's definitely dead, or he is dying. This is why he's struggling to talk. Um, his father is trying to, you know, make him comfortable. And we hear him talking to a witcher. So we're like, oh, okay, Geralt. Geralt's here. Geralt's going to save the day. But it's not Geralt. It's a different witcher of the, um, of the school of the wolf because of the wolf medallion. Mm-hmm. Comes out of the corner cool. and, yes, looks cool, seems cool. Uh, he's talk- So we find out that this boy was a son of a miner um, in another kingdom. And... You know, they the king refuses to do anything about this monster that's terrorizing them and that they need to do it themselves. So they've put together the money uh, for the Witcher to do this. And the Witcher says he'll slay the beast for 3000 Orin up front. So he has to they have to pay him before the job's done, which sucks. But that's Mm -hmm. how desperate they are. Um, The men agree. And essentially, when the boy dies, the father loses his mind and the Witcher gets his money. So really a quite tense opening scene and it's not even Geralt related uh, initially. Um, so we'll continue along this. So this witcher that we don't, we don't know who or what or why he is. Um, he's following a trail of blood and he finds a body basically half eaten in what looks to be like a meat storeroom, like a meat locker, which of course it's a, meat locker and of course the monsters in the meat locker where there's just hunks of meat lying everywhere and it's hard to track where your target is and it's the perfect ambush spot and Yikes. this dude is definitely 127 percent dead like yes dead <laughs> yeah. put on the board he gone he doesn't even that's how dead he is it's like how, how much more dead can you be you don't even get a name <laughs> you're, just, you're just a dead guy um, he's got he. So if we remember from the first episode, this Witcher has taken his potion. His eyes are black, so he's ready for combat. Um, he you hear this thing skittering around super fast in here, and essentially he draws his sword, but it's too late because this thing is already on him, and you just hear the the gore of this man dying, being torn to shreds <laughs> by this thing. Yikes. Essentially. Um, so, yeah, P- R.I.P. Witcher. Um, 
but it's not our Witcher. So our Witcher, on the flip side, is living a much better day or having a much better day than his counterpart. He wakes up in an inn with a courtesan in his bed. Um, And she's talking about the many scars on his body. And she's talking about the, and she finds, you know, a scar that the bard had been talking about, but hadn't mentioned the, you know, one in particular. And I believe that scar was the one Renfrey got him with in Blaviken. And he didn't, you know, obviously that's a whole thing. Um, But I think, because and this is where it gets confusing because we have no sense of time within this these episodes of of how long time you know how how long has progressed um so the fact that the courtesan is talking to Geralt about how the bard has songs about all the witcher's different scars except for this one means to me that they've been together for some time now and Yaskir has been able to extract a lot of different information and stories from Geralt to, to seeing his songs and his praises. And it's obviously working out pretty well for Geralt in a way um, because he's living it up while his buddy's getting ripped to shreds. Um, I say living it up very sparingly. So um, the courtesan mentions another witcher and Geralt rises up. He's very disinterested in this woman but at the mention of another witcher, he perks up. He wants to know more. And he finds out that um, there's a beast in Tamaria. And he went there. Um, the, you know, the other witcher went there and was much less interesting than Geralt. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently the previous witcher took the money and ran and never uh, actually slayed the beast. But we know that he got messed up pretty badly by this thing. So... Um, at that point, the landlord's banging on the door, demanding that the room be paid for. Uh, Geralt, who doesn't have the money on him yet, says he'll be back with it soon um, and that he'll get Roach later. And he gets kicked out, essentially, because he can't pay. Um, but he goes to Tamaria and he is willing to slay this beast for the miners for a big I mean, a huge chunk of coin, you know, it's, it's not a a little amount of money here that we're talking about. And so that's what he does. He, he goes to Tamaria and we find the miners once again, gathered together, but they are essentially planning what amounts to be a, a mini revolt against the, against the Royal house here, because they continue to be killed. They're not being offered protection and they're, um, their king, uh, who we find out his name is Foltest, is hiding in his castle, is not going to deal with this thing. And they're, con- they're convinced it's a, I, I don't know if this is going to be butchered or not, Connor, uh, Vugodlak, a kind of werewolf? Uh, that's another new one. That's okay. another new one that they made for the show. So, so they're it, saying like, oh, this is yep. what it is. Um, and as they're talking about that and rising up, the you know, Geralt steps out of the shadows just like the other Witcher, and he's like, you know, I'll slay this beast. Um, and the uh, the miners are like, hell no! The last guy took the money and ran. And Geralt's like, well, I don't do that. I want I'll get payment, but only after, um, yeah. you know, the the deed is done. Uh, 
the miners are basically saying to hell with you. We're not going to do it. But before anything really gets started from there, soldiers come in um, and they order the miners to stand down. Um, and uh, he's like the what would you say he is? He's not like the secretary of the king, but. Oh, you know, you know, I'm, you know, well, who we'll talk about? I don't he's know a, if uh, I have they, it. They call him the court. They call him the courtier. Courtier and his name's uh, Ostrit. Yeah. Right. Yep. Nailed it. So he's he's there, and he's talking about you know what you guys are doing is very foolish. Just go back. We'll figure this out. Get the Witcher out of here. Um, you know the the Witcher is going to be escorted out because the king doesn't want to have another Witcher on their hands because the last one ran. Um, so they scatter the soldier or the the crowd who is still very upset. Mm-hmm. Um, but as Geralt is being escorted out, uh, the guards kind of just fall off their horses. Um, seems kind of like a, a fog of some sort. And we meet Triss, who is Triss, a go. yes, Triss Marigold. Anyone that has watched or excuse me played the games knows who Triss is. Uh, those who have not, and The Witcher is your first experience. She is another sorceress that Geralt. Um, knows pretty well, but at this point they don't, this is their first time meeting. Um, and essentially he's asking, uh, the, you know, he's saying, Oh, really smart move of the King to show this big deal of the Witcher escorting him out and then coming back. And then he sends the secretary to come get me. But we find out that Triss is doing this of her own accord. Um, because, it's uh, the creatures coming out of the crypt of Ada, who is Foltest's sister. And she doesn't uh, want to kill it. She wants to help it. And she wants the Witcher to essentially help identify what mm-hmm. their monster actually is. Um, so she takes them to essentially the crypt where they're salting the body so they don't rot. And we find the other Witcher there. And he's inspecting the wounds. He gets to his Witcher buddy. He takes off his medallion. um, And he feels into his uh, chest cavity and realizes that I believe it's the heart and the liver are gone. um, That they've been taken. And he's upset that they would push the narrative. Or not upset, but he comes to the realization that they're pushing the narrative that the Witcher ran with the money instead of being killed. Because if people knew this thing killed a Witcher no one would there would be no hope and he realizes that yeah oh yeah they would run because there's no protection um and he realizes because of the pickiness of the organs that they are not dealing with uh vukodlak or the werewolf but a striga which is a woman that is transformed into a monster by a curse and because it's coming out of ada's crypt Geralt deduces that this is her daughter who is a princess. So mm-hmm. now it's like this whole big deal that um obviously the uh the Striga, now we know why the king refuses to kill this thing. Why why we, essentially we kind of understand, okay, it's a big deal because this is the princess of Tamaria. And that's that's why maybe nothing's happening. Geralt not really happy about 
the other Witcher, obviously, and um, I'm really sorry about my dog. Maybe this is why I should be in the basement. Never apologize for your dog. Every bark is just a sweet nectar to my ears. <laughs> she's really loud. She's not even – she's kind of far away. But anyway, I will continue to continue. Um, so Geralt gets an audience <laughs> with <laughs> full test. Should I wait? Should should we just cut this out? Oh, whatever. I mean, I'll mark it, but I don't think we have to. Okay. Well, you can do whatever you want. Um, That's right. It's true. Um, so Geralt basically gets demands an audience with the king Foltis because he wants to understand what is happening here. And I believe the, the myth and the story is that Ada had a lover that she was forbidden from seeing. And then they don't know. I think they, she was pregnant. Was she not pregnant? Essentially, you don't know whatever happened to the daughter or the baby rather, but there's just right. kind of that story that is uh, proceeding. So um, essentially the king is just locked away in his castle, uh, the a new castle because the old one is being in, uh, inhabited and he's Foltis is angry that Triss has asked a quote mutant mercenary for help. So more um, disdain for the Witcher and who he is, but uh, Triss really has Geralt's back, and especially because there's a full moon that night, and he Geralt is starting to ask some hard hitting questions of the king. And the, he's making the king uncomfortable. The king demands everybody to leave. And essentially, Geralt is walking out, then locks everybody out and confronts the king himself and uh, basically asks if the daughter is his, is, is the king's, which we don't mm-hmm. really get a response. But because the lack of response, I think most people would deduce that this Striga is truly the offspring of um, Ada, his sister, but there was incest. So it's actually his daughter, which is why it explains that he's not doing anything about this. Um, so we that's kind of where the story of Geralt ends for the episode at to this point. So some huge mega bombs being dropped of incest, the king is hiding because this is his daughter running around killing people in a monster form. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Geralt, and it's a secret, obviously, because I think there's yeah. no level of incest that's okay. Even in Game of Thrones, it's not okay. It's, but it's, you know, obviously, it's Jamie upon. and, and it's Cersei do it. Literally do it. Um, but yeah, so it's a secret that doesn't want to be revealed. And it's a, it's a big bombshell that is kind of left in the air but i think most people know um but here we're back in uh artuza it's graduation day which is awesome um you know yennefer is so there's a oh what's the best word for it, connor a designer of human uh touch essentially i i, I would say a flesh architect Flesh architect, that that is a very good uh a good one yeah, for baby. it. I'm full of it. Um 
And so this is where you see Tasea is in there. Yennefer's looking in the mirror. This guy is looking at her hunched body and saying, every girl I enchant leaves Artuza a living work of art, no matter how challenging the clay. So basically saying, do not worry about it, honey. I will make you look so good for them royals. Mm-mm-mm. Um, and Tasea <laughs> is telling Yennefer to close her eyes and imagine the most powerful woman in the world. And, you know, do you see her? Yennefer says yes. And she says to Yennefer, we remake ourselves on our own terms. So we're, we're basically reaching the end stage for Yennefer and her graduation. Um, and this is where Yennefer being revealed as part Elvin plays a massive role in Yennefer's storyline. So there's a meeting, uh, the Brotherhood of Sorcerers meets to discuss essentially where they're placing the new recruits. Yep. Um, and because they're their advisors. So Tasea wants to send Yennefer, what is it, to Adern? Is that right? Yep. The name pronunciation? Yep. Where she was born. So she is from Adern. And she wants that. And I believe that um, you know, it, it, it's a big piece, and Yennefer being there would be a really big role. But this is where we find out where it's blocked. Stregobor reveals to everybody that she's of elven lineage and the people of Adern hate everything elven. I think they took and bore the brunt of the elven incursion. And so they absolutely hate them. So the fact that Yennefer has elven blood, if that got out, it would be bad, bad, bad news. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Because of that conflict, she's ruled out and she can't do it. Um, and that's when they decide that Yennefer should go to Nilfgaard. Right. So, um, which this is where we're like, it kind of gets confusing because, or well, it comes up to be confusing. So, um, so we have this huge discussion of Tasea trying to protect Yennefer and it's, she's overruled essentially and the niece of the like the head of the brotherhood or uh, the head of the council is going to go to Adern and then Yennefer is going to go to Nilfgaard and at this point Nilfgaard is uh, described as the ruler is described as just a money spending idiot who likes hot chicks Mm -hmm. he's a partier dude parties he likes to party that's what he's described as and Yennefer yeah Essentially, um, I also like to party. So, no, we find only oh. I like to party. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, Nilfgaard likes to party as well. <laughs> this is <laughs> perhaps a the poor, worst, perhaps the worst reference to of, of, of ever. Probably the worst reference ever. Well, there's only two of us, and it takes it takes a village to do that scene of Hot Rod. But anyway, so this is like the big piece of Yennefer's puzzle plotline of her being Elvin because her placement this spurs a ton of what we're about to see happening. Um, we don't see it yet, but essentially, Yennefer's told you're not going to Adern, you're going to Nilfgaard. Yennefer wants to be powerful; she craves this power, and. The fact that she's not going to Adern, and what she can make a difference. She's going to Nilfgaard to the, the idiot that wants to essentially bang her. Um, 
And that's just yeah. this huge blow. And she, and essentially also on top of that, Adrian is where she's from and she wants to make a difference and be that beacon essentially for her, her home country. And she can't do it anymore. She's very upset about that. Um, but she knows now, like, how did they find out the only person she told was Istrid. And this is where we see a snowball effect of some things happening of her confiding in Istrid about her elven lineage because Tisea tries to play it off saying placement is by me and it's final. But Yennefer is able to deduce that she got overruled by the council because of the elven blood thing. So Yennefer storms off into rage, but we're back in Tamaria. So essentially so I'm, I, I, I got it wrong. Uh, we get the interaction with uh, Foltest now, and he explains the Striga. Um, and this is, I believe, the quote from the episode, and it's it's very gruesome. So we're in Tamaria. He suspects Foltest impregnated Sister Ada, um, which is the creation of Striga. And he says she grew inside Ada, feeding on her petrified womb mutating growing for years till she got so hungry she was forced to slither out an overgrown abortion yep pretty gross pretty gross uh you know i've been characteristically uh quiet during this part of the episode and i gotta I, i feel like i should explain why this is uh this story's kind of been uh, amalgamated by a couple different things. Uh, most notably, Triss Marigold is not part of the story in the books. I mean, it makes it does make sense because she does eventually serve in King Fultest's court. I mean, that's like that's her post for a long time. So it's just things are. It, this is almost less confusing for people who are new to The Witcher, because for me, uh, this is the first story that Geralt is a part of in The Last Wish. This is the first story you read about Geralt. He walks into this town. He has an altercation with three guys at a bar. It's a really cool scene. It's like the first time you really see who Geralt is and what he's capable of and what people think of witchers in general. He is escorted over uh, by basically who Ostrich's character is. Uh, and he gets this job about the Striga from King Foltest and you know, it goes from there. But it's just, it's such a different story at this point i mean there's no witcher there's no miners there's no none of that happened so my my brain was just flying all over the place trying to like put things together i'm like wait but wait huh who but what what's going on huh so i was (laughs) i i had to like pause this episode and like look things up it was it was hard for me to follow this episode as someone who whose primary engagement with the witchers through the books i had a hell of a time uh eventually i kind of uh you know let jesus take the wheel and i just enjoyed it for what it was but it's it certainly i mean by the time he fights the striga that's all about the same but before that i was i was really 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 struggling okay so Geralt essentially so and i'm really happy that you you pointed that out because i was just about to ask well if this isn't a part of the lore that you are familiar with and and know and what were your thoughts on it so i you know Glad that you uh, got to that before I was able to pose my question. So um, posing questions, uh, you know, speaking of the latter there. So Foltest was confronted alone by Geralt when he locked himself in with him. And 
I think it's important to note that there is an interaction. Uh, you know, the captain of the guard was there, and so was Ostrit, uh, the courtier um, of Foltest. And I, I think it's just important to note, I don't know the specifics, but that interaction was kind of strange within itself, of especially of Ostrit and his reactions to some things before they're all kicked out. So just kind of make a note of that. It was not overly suspicious, but you could kind of tell that there was, you know, it was just very blurred at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Geralt obviously able to do some investigative work and, and hunches of his own and gets basically what he wants out of the King, knowing that this truly is his daughter and that he is the one that right. did it. So he needs proof though. How do you prove this for a stubborn King to help him? Well, we find Triss walking and Geralt's just kind of leaning against the wall of the old castle, which contains the crypt of Ada where the Striegel lives. There's some guards that look quite scared. Um, before we see Geralt, the guards are, are standing there and there's like something that cracks in the castle. And these two are like shivering yeah, in their armor. <laughs> um, he's like, he's basically metal gear. He's basically metal gear Geralt right now distracting them with like little noises yeah hopefully everyone understands that reference that's exactly what connor says a little noise to distract them tris is like well i'm sure you have a plan uh to get past these guards and you don't want to kill them and and it's like Geralt's like "Eh, i'll come up with something and he picks up a rock and throws it at the castle it hits and the soldiers just go running and it's just ah brilliant a brilliant moment of Geralt improvising and the soldiers just running away from their posts um, so they go inside, they go into, uh, Ada's room, um, and they're looking for anything to confirm the potential of the affair or anything to, to put something concrete for leverage. And Gerald kind of stops at the bed, which we need a bookmark trying to understand, I think, the situation among other things. Trish is like fidgeting with a music player and she hits a compartment that reveals or hits a button that reveals a secret compartment with letters in it from, uh, I think it's Queen Sansia, yeah, which is the right. mother of Ada and Foltest. And it essentially confirms the affair of the two siblings Um which in turn, you know, maybe the mother is the reason, you know, she cursed the child because incest is not good. And especially within a royal family, yikes. Uh, so the mother is responsible for turning the child uh, into the Striga. But Geralt's like, mm, maybe, but maybe not. And we get taken to Ostrich's quarters, perhaps. Um it sounds like Geralt and Triss had broken the news. Like, yes, it's incest. And you understand why the secret is being so guarded because the first thing out of his mouth is that this could destroy the throne. Um, when the letters are shown to him and there's the explanation of what might happen, what's the fallout going to look like? What do we do with this? And this is where essentially Ostrich trying to, He's explaining things like, oh, Foltest is such a, you know, God, how could he do this to his own sister? Um, you know, it must have been, you know, he must have done bad things, blah, blah, blah. And then Geralt puts the cards on the table and shows a full house and goes all in on him and says, no, yeah. 
you know, you know, whoever the young, it was you and I could smell it on the bed in the castle and I could smell what it was. That witcher sense, baby. Essentially, if you took a black light into that bedroom (laughs) and looked at the cubbies, you would find some ickies. That's what witcher vision is. That's what their cat eyes are. They're just black lights. (laughs) <laughs> he just sees he just sees excrement everywhere he's got a black light nose then and he's just like oh oh yikes oh. yeah oh <laughs> oh which uh, anyway but yeah essentially black light that area big yikers accuses ostrich and basically breaks this man into confessing everything saying he admitted that he loves Ada and he cursed Foltest out of jealousy because they're like, how could you possibly curse this child? And he's like, I wasn't trying to curse Ada. I was trying to curse Foltest. And he was like, oh my gosh, this, this dude, sniveling coward. Um, And and we obviously, we find out that the curse was passed on to uh, the daughter uh, birthing the Striga. And, you know, now, you know, Geralt barks out, countless are dead because of your jealousy and this just con- we continue to be fed the narrative of Geralt Geralt and his honor and his sense of wanting to protect intelligent creatures and and just the irresponsible people out there ruining his nice world that he's trying to protect essentially yeah pretty much which i, I just love i love that about him which uh which is amazing and um you know, Geralt wants Ostrich to tell him how to lift the curse. And Ostrich's like, no, Faltest must suffer. And so then because he answers yeah. that, Geralt punches yeah. him in the face and knocks him out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Dude, that guy sucks, man. Basically Ugh. is is Littlefinger. I mean, really similar to Littlefinger. And, and I Dude, say that because uh, Ostrich, uh, if you're familiar with Game of Thrones, otherwise I'll explain it. Ostrich in the original story, uh, his only design and his only part of the story is ousting. I mean, he is against full test, but he just wants to oust his rule to support um, a leader from a, a neighboring country of Vizima. That's his only interaction in the story. Uh, it's enough to get him killed still, but uh, there's there's nothing about the curse. There's nothing about, you know, he was in love with Ada. None of that is is part of it. So... Not an unwelcome change, but again, it's just I, I I was getting like waylaid in terms of me trying to understand what was happening. But yeah, yeah. And, and your illusion of Littlefinger, I agree only in how they look. But honestly, Littlefinger for the most jealous. part. Well, yeah, little it, that's not revealed later though. But Littlefinger, his mental game is awesome, Way and it's fun. True. The game True. of chess that he plays with all the different powers in Game of Thrones. Way better than sniveling Ostrit that or Ostrit that's just like budget version. Yeah, he's like, you know, I'm very angry at my king for sleeping with my love and then producing a love child, and now I must curse you. No, I will not lift the curse. His name sounds like a flightless bird. It's kind of an apt uh, <laughs> <laughs> metaphor. Can't get off the ground. Yeah. Sorry, bud. Yeah, you you get what's coming. But before that, we're back in Artuza and we're getting the resolution of Yennefer not getting her dream post, the one that she's been prepping for 
for quite literally her entire time there. She confronts Istrid in the Tower of Gulls. Um, she knows that information has been being passed back and forth. And, you know, I think they both know that they've been kind of uh, essentially spying on each other. But I think the fact that this was the thing that is blocking Yennefer from, you know, doing what she wants because they had talked about, you know, it sucks that we're yeah. not going to be together, but maybe if I, you know, when I'm the, in the court, royal court of, uh, was it Astrin? Um, you know, I can let you come check the ruins out because he's basically a, a sorcerer researcher is, uh, is Istrid. So they're trying to find all these ways and essentially Istrid's like, Oh, maybe this is a good thing because, you know, you missed initiation. So the enchantments are all done. But you can just, you know, we can travel the continent together because I got my post. You know, it's great. And Yennefer is so angry. Yeah. She's like, that's not my destiny. It's slow suicide. And obviously that's very hurtful to Istrid because he's a big nerd boy. He'd probably like dweeb dive, I I will say. Uh, As a nerdy (laughs) researcher, he'd probably enjoy us. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's like, oh, it's not so bad because you got to be with me and we got to go do stuff. And he's like... Yeah. Oh, she's like, I can't wait to be your sniveling secretary to clean your clothes and follow you around like a dog, essentially, like really insults him with the way she answers back at him. So Go obviously a queen. huge deal for uh, for Yennefer. Um, we also see. So after obviously the graduation, uh, the other initiates, they're dancing, they're celebrating they're um, and courting, they're courting their potential courts, pretty much. They're exactly. Yeah. Yes, she. Um, and then we see the king of Adern um, being courted by Fringilla. the Frangilla, who is the niece of the head of the brother of Sorcerer's Council. Yep. Holy crap, that was a mouthful. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, she's the niece of the power player. Um, and he, you could tell he's not feeling the vibes because, and he, he basically says, I was hoping for someone that was from my home country. And I, it leads me to believe that there were maybe some indications like, yeah, you're going to, this is who you're getting. And so we're just going to make sure this match works before we pan it out. But this is essentially who you're getting. So it's basically like medical school. It's like getting matched for medical school is, is what being a sorceress is like in this age. Oh, it's okay. Very, like, stressful. Um, yeah, you get matched. Like that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. There you go. If you're having trouble understanding the matchmaking process, think about go med to medical school, school. <laughs> and see it yourself. It's right. Very easy thing. <laughs> Super easy. Oh yeah, just everyone could do it. Anyone. So easy. A caveman could probably do it. This is where. So this is some snowball effects, uh, again, of we'll continue to learn more and more and more about Yennefer, but Yennefer is so angry. She basically goes into the sorcerer, the architect of the flesh, as Connor so elegantly put it earlier, and corners him and is like, you're going to fix me. I don't care if I miss the enchantment time. Like You're going to do it. And he's like, yeah, well, actually, I, I really can't do that. And she, I, I think the line is somewhere along the lines of, oh, uh, do they control your cock as well? Essentially calling him ballless. Yeah. And pushes the buttons and he's like, 
you can't be awake during the procedure. It's too painful. I don't have the herbs for this. And she's like, YOLO. no, I can take it. I can take it. I can do it. And she's getting prepped up. So she's got, she's kind of in like a stirrups essentially. Um, if you are uh, going to a gynecologist, why do I know this? Well, I just do. Um, well, go to medical school guys and you'll figure yeah, out. Go to me- you know what? Medical school will make all of this Salt. terminology very familiar. Makes sense. <laughs> he says there's a cost to all creation, a sacrifice that is always made. Um, essentially, you know, because the way magic works to reconstruct yourself, because you're being classified as being reborn, you are losing the ability to bear children. And we see, and this is like grotesque. Yeah. Pretty brutal of him digging in and taking out the, uh, reproductive organs of Yennefer. And like, you see it, you see the whole, you're like, if you go to medical school, you're like, yeah, that's it. That's it there right it there. There, there it all is. Wow. The, the the removal of the ability to have children, that's something that we anybody that's played the games or read the books knows about Yennefer. Uh, no specifics, really. Really no specifics until this episode. And I thought it was pretty apt the way they handled it. Gross. Uh, bloody. Very uh, brutal. But I think it it makes sense. Because uh, it's so dramatic in a world where magic uh, has a lot of power to do a lot of transformative things, like the fact that they can't have kids anymore, it just seems like when I was playing the games, I was like, really? Like they couldn't figure out how to re like how to reinstate that ability to have children. But after watching this scene, it seems pretty final, pretty final indeed. So. Yeah, and it just makes a lot of sense. I don't know, you know, with how they continue to explain magic. I mean, it makes sense. I think it's kind of silly because wouldn't you want your most powerful, uh, you know, mages and sorcerers and all that procreating to create more, you know, powerful bloodlines, all that. But maybe that's just too easy. I don't know. Um, But before we go any further, before we get any further, Birdman hand rub. It's Tamaria time, and it's the night, and the full moon is out. And we see the lid of Ada's tomb scrape open, and we hear the Striga scream. (laughs) Terrifying. Yeah, but scarier. Like, way, like, a billion times scarier than that. Okay, let me try again. (laughs) No. How was that? Was that good? I'll keep going. That just that, okay. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go 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 go. So go. this gets uh, revealed, and we're back in Ada's bedroom, and Geralt has Ostrid tied to the bed that he had sniffed. Blacklight sniffed. Um, Yuck! And he's essentially Ostrid's trying to back his way out of essentially, you know, being involved in this. And I think it's important to note too, before this, before he gets to see, gets to Ostrid, Geralt is with the king uh, on his way to, to do this. And Triss doesn't want him to kill the princess. 
he doesn't want to. And there's a, a litany of men outside the old castle and the king is behind him. And he walks up to Geralt and he starts talking to him about, you know, are you going to be able to save, you know, not kill her? And uh, Geralt's like, you know, I'm going to try. But the last princess, you know, the last monster princess I was, you know, that got a fight with me. It didn't end well. You know, the king and Foltest is like, what happened? He's like, well, I killed her. He's like, oh. And this is where we see Geralt give the king the, I don't really know what it is. I think it's like a royalty, some sort of. Oh no! I, I hate to use uh, the word memorabilia, but it's 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 Renfrey's. It's her pen. It's her sigil. Oh, is it Renfrey's? Yeah, that's Renfrey's sigil. That's that's the princess he was talking about. That's why he gave it to. Oh, her. oh yeah. I mean, I know it's Renfrey, but I thought it was something of the princess in here. But so it's Renfrey's that he's giving yes to her, essentially saying, if I can't save her, it's you know, it's her or me, and I gotta kill her, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's when we get the, okay, go do your thing. And now we're with Ostrit tied up to the bed. He's essentially, you hear the street of screaming. Everybody knows it's a, it's a bad deal. Um, and he's basically, he's like, Ostrid, you better tell me how to lift this fucking curse. And at first he's like, no, I, you know, I don't remember. And, you know, I can't. And then he starts sniveling and remembering the chant that he cited and then the ritual that took place, which was down in the crypt um, being, you know, you washed himself in goat's blood or whatever and cursed her. And so essentially Geralt finds out and he's mad that he has to keep the Striga out of her bed, which is the crypt of Ada, the essentially the tomb until sunrise and it's the dead of night. So he has to, essentially contain an immensely powerful monster all night long to lift this curse. And, you know, essentially in, in Geralt's terms, well, fuck. (laughs) So he leaves Ostrid tied to this thing because he needs to prep or just be ready. And then we find the Striga finds its way into the bedroom and, it is quite horrifying looking. It kind of looks like alien a little bit. Yeah. Like a little oh, yeah. bit alien xenomorph, a little bit nemesis, resident evil, just like gross. Really, really gross looking. And Ostrid's like sweet talking, like I didn't mean this to be you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we think the Striga leaves, but then it comes back and disembowels him. So take that. Literally, literally, you get to visualize the disembowelment. It's go to med school. You'll understand. Go to med school, guys. That's um, the main thing about our podcast is we want you guys to go to med school. That's right. We care about your well-being. Um, but yeah, uh, the fight with the Striga is just another awesome, awesome, awesome mm-hmm. sequence of choreography. Just, But in a different way because it's not sword play. It's a brute strength. Rage monster yeah. versus Geralt, who's going to have to try and contain this thing and not do any killing blows, which is probably immensely hard to do when the thing is hell bent on killing you. Right. And it turns the fight into more of a WWE like pace and style of fight where that's like big hits, slower paced, 
he's like going like oh and then he punches it and it's like like it's just back and forth i i I enjoyed the switch up from the sword play i have to say yeah and we really get like this the full visual and glimpses of the striga it's got like an umbilical cord looking thing dragging on the floor it's heavily mutated it's disgusting looking it's kind of hunched it seems like it's blind. It's just making these weird croaking noises as it walks around. Um, I'm presumably looking for Geralt. And we, or not we, but it finds Geralt in a hallway. And uh, it's funny. He's uh, essentially making a chain lasso for this thing because he has to contain it. So... Uh, why not, you know, put some chains around it and just hold it in place, right? It's a good idea. And uh, he spins it. He throws it around, essentially lassoing the Striga, and it's struggling. It, Of course, it breaks free, and <laughs> this is where we get a patented Geralt fuck. And yep. <laughs> the the fight begins it's uh, to Connor's point, a WWE. We're gonna pick you up and slam you into everything yep. in this hallway. Hulk smash! You know, I'm gonna slam you into the wall. You're gonna slam me into this desk, and I'm gonna go through it. I'm gonna slam you into the floor. And um, essentially, they're doing some back and forth, and this thing gets on top of him, and his sword gets knocked out of his hands, and he can't reach it. So, in an effort to save himself. He uses his Ard sign and blasts the floor of this hallway down, and they fall directly into the crypt. Yep. Um, and so the Striga is, I guess, kind of knocked out from the fall. Geralt gets up first, clearly pretty battered, and he puts a, some sort of sign on the door, assuming it's a magical sign that won't let the Striga escape, it's essentially trapping in it. And it's its only route of escape. And Geralt, he's like, okay, now I have it. You know, we're a little closer to where I want to be because the crypt's right there. You see it. Um, He's like, there it is. Can't let it get in there. Okay. Well, let's not let it escape. And, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to finish this thing here. The Striga wakes up and is gone when he turns around. So now he's like having to to wander around in the dark, the things on the roof of the crypt and attacks him from above, gets the drop on him, puts him into the ground and sends him flying, you know, WWE throw across the room. And the Striga makes a break for the door. And it's like, oh, perfect. Literally Geralt knows what he's doing here. And the thing runs into the seals of Geralt and he can't, it can't get out. What's it called? Yerdin. Yerdin. Yep, that's his. Uh, that's and the sign for seals and barriers. So the Striga realizes it's trapped and turns around, and we see the badass silver knuckles of Geralt, which have all knuckle wolf emblems. Yeah, awesome. What a what a what a piece of bling, man! That was sick. Yeah, and essentially, you know, that's going to even the fight because he was getting his ass kicked earlier. And sure enough, it it charges him and he just gets some good punches going off of this thing. And, you know, he's still, I think, losing this fight. And the sun comes out 
And the Striga realizes what's happening. It's going to try and get back in its crypt. Geralt realizes as well and beats it to the crypt and seals himself in with, what's it called again? Uh, Yerdin. Yerdin. Yeah. Uh, seals himself in with Yerdin and the Striga is trying to claw its way in. It can't. And yeah. So Sizzles. Geralt gets out of it and... It's daylight. It's a. It's the daytime now. He's completed his mission, and he finds the child. It's. It is now a true human child lying mm. in the crypt. It's bloody. It's gross looking, and it is human. Yes. Um. He's reaching down to kind of check on it, and this this little girl pounces on him and attacks him and stabs him in what looks like the upper chest, which is yeah, not like good. Neck. Yeah. And <laughs> in response, he bites her in the neck and uh, it's almost like response. And I don't know if it's like, maybe the child still thinks it's a striga and impermeable to, to most harm, but that kind of brings it back down because it screams and is holding its neck. Yeah. And it's a this little is hard where... to understand. It's a little hard to understand what's happening uh, in the show because at least the way they explain it in the book, she is not fully uh, detransformed. So in the book, she looks like, you know, the the curse is lifted and she's a full human. But as as Geralt like turns her around, her claws are still there. So he just, you know, slashes across Geralt's chest and neck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that makes sense. Uh, well, it's not really a slash. It's it, she stabs him with something because you see it yeah, in him right. still. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but I think to your point, something that I didn't mention prior was when he's explaining to Foltest, you know, can this daughter be saved? He's like, yeah, but she. You have to realize that's the only thing she's known is hunger and rage, and she doesn't have feral. any social abilities. Yeah, she's feral. Like it's going to take a lot of work, but she will be human. So we get that. She's human, but still very feral attacked girl. And it looks like he's dying. Like the room's going black. He's got stabbed. Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of bleeding a lot. And uh, he starts blacking out a little bit, um, which is a vulnerable uh, vulnerable position for him. But before we, we kind of find out what happens, did Geralt die? I don't know. We're back in Artuza, and the sorcerer Yennefer has given up her ability to procreate, and it gets singed, um, and it creates like a black paint. And he starts tracing over her body, and do I mean okay? We need to talk about this scene okay. because it is so grotesque and graphic, yet beautiful, like unbelievable you, you understand what i'm saying okay like the enchantment to create her body i mean what did you think of that knowing the magic better than i do in the witcher well, like, you get this full i mean really graphic scene of yennefer getting her body transformed like i said uh this is all new this was all invented for the show so i i have no point of reference for the kind of magic he was using but I'll I'll echo what you said. I think the portrayal of it 
and, and again, the context of, you know, it, it, it's all about like sacrifice and something must be consumed to produce. Uh, it all seems in line. And I'll just, I'll, I'll keep singing their praises. I think the way they've portrayed magic thus far has been, has been, it's been interesting. It's new. It's not, you know, I think we get quite a bit of, in fantasy, in popular fantasy, it's there's you know imbued magics and wands and it's cool, but I don't know. I, there's something about like flaws and sacrifice that make things seem a lot more interesting. Yeah, and essentially what happens is you see Yennefer's skin split. Not you know nothing comes out, but like her face begins to split open for the bones to realign and her spine Uh does too. And you hear like crunching of bones being set into the correct positions. And like, it is a lot to digest and like a sensory, it's a sensory overload to be honest. And I mean, I watched it two times now and honestly the first time I couldn't believe. And the second time I was just like, I, I really trying to get through this scene because it is a lot. Um, but boy, what do we get at the end? Whew. So she's screaming in agony. Her, sp- her spine is splitting open. Um, and that's the last we see. And then we see an upright woman who's absolutely stunning. And it is indeed Yennefer. And she's walking into the graduation ball. Oh yeah. Beautiful, Big confident ready to take on the world boots were made for walking oh my goodness and that is just what they do you know one day those boots are gonna walk all over them right yeah anyway kind of an apt kind of an apt song i'm actually i'm actually surprised they didn't play it during the show i think it would have fit really well i think it would have fit the context but the music no anyway i was joking i was just for the record for uh for the record i was joking for the record i was joking Uh, Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but um, so she approaches King Verferal of Adern. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah, good enough. Um, and uh, Tessia is stunned, as is everybody else of the council. And she introduces herself as Yennefer of Vangerberg, which is of Adern. And um, to say I was trying to talk to the king, like, oh, this is not right. She shouldn't be here. And the king blows her off like, no, I believe I need to dance with my subject. You know, I, I am beholden to them to do so. And we get to dance. And so this is the little key thing that I picked up in this episode. The second time I watched it, that makes this episode confusing of the timeline of the Witcher. Yep. There are two kids standing in this room. And the mother says Foltest and Ada. So this is Foltest and Ada, but they're kids. Mm-hmm. And we know Foltest as a very grown man. Ada is dead. So the fact, so this is like our first reveal of where we are along the plot line of Yennefer and Geralt for sure. And essentially it's, Yennefer was well before we knew who Geralt was. Geralt was around, but we didn't really know, or at yeah. least at this time frame. I mean, it's just so hard. It just makes your head spin trying to think of the time frames. But essentially what you thought of a parallel timeline between these main characters is actually very incorrect. It's, yeah. you know, Yennefer's got a timeline. Geralt has a timeline. They are not 
simultaneously happening. Yennefer's happened first in this plot story, or excuse me, this plot line. And uh, Geralt is kind of on his own path. So then it's like, okay, well, what's... So then Siri and Geralt must be lined up then, right? Is what you would think, but we'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, that was the thing. I did not notice that the first time I watched it. And you didn't? When oh, I, interesting. No, I didn't. Okay. And the, the second time I did, I was like, like, this is where, you know, the confusion begins because this is a young Fultist and we know Fultist is the old guy. So there's a, uh, I'm not going to lie. That. Like I was talking to someone about this scene who was new to the Witcher and she thought it was a simulation, which is not out of the realm of possibility because it's magical, you know, that technically involves a lot of things. So she was like, oh, that was a simulation. And they just had those, the young Fultest and young Ada in there. Cause that's what they've been using for a long time or something. Uh, it wasn't until the next episode and how that one starts. And Jennifer mentions her like age that she like understood that, Oh, these are way, way different timescales. Hundred, about a hundred years for Jennifer, about 40 for Geralt and two weeks for Siri. So it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. It is crazy. And that, and that's what I was saying in the, in our previous podcast is like, I felt bad for first time viewers. This is crazy. It's a crazy time scale. I respect oh, it can, that they went for it, but man, it is it is hard to follow. It confused the hell out of me. I'll tell you that much. So as I rewatch this series to to make sure I don't miss important details, um, yeah, that was one thing I know I had missed, and then I realized it. I'm like, oh, okay, this is probably part of the reason I was confused. Um, but. We're wrapping up the episode uh, with Geralt and Tamaria. It's Triss tending to his wounds, and he's alive. And Triss is conversating with him and asks, like, who's Renfrey? You continually mentioned her name over and over and over and over again. And we know that he is haunted by having to had kill her. And what she said to him about the girl in the woods is his destiny, who is Siri, but he doesn't know it's Siri. Um, He's asking for his coin and that he wants to leave immediately. Uh, Triss gives him his coin and he leaves Tamaria uh, back to where he left Roach. And we're flashed to Siri uh, in the woods. And there's whispers um, of her name coming from somewhere. It looks like another forest. There's an open plain that she's crossing and she is clearly not in control of herself. Um, They were sleeping. So Dara wakes up and and realizes that she's walking somewhere and tries to go after her, tries to stop her. And an arrow comes out of nowhere and hits near him. And he realizes, or well, we realize as well that this is a massive plane of dead bodies and arrows. Like a lot of people are dying here. In this area, whether there's a war or whatever, I, we don't know. But it's not safe. So he continues to run after Siri, and then he takes one right in the shoulder, goes down like a sack of potatoes, um, which I think anyone would uh, would do yeah. running and Especially getting hit this with universe. an arrow. Especially in this universe yeah. where arrows are just overpowered. Yeah, clearly, uh, the skull shot and the neck shot of K here. So, yes, yeah. that, that has legs. Um, but she's continuing... A series continually walking into the woods as the name calls out to her, and 
it seems to be imminent danger, but we have no idea what it is because the episode ends. Mystery. Yeah, so definitely the two episodes tie in just to get the complete line of Yennefer and all that um, kind of comprised of, but whew. Lot, you know what's a insane? Lot, uh, a lot there. What's that? You know what's insane is they've expanded series so much in uh, in the show, which I, which I do appreciate. But it, it's just crazy to think that series storyline in the books, everything that happened between uh, you don't even see the sacking of uh, of Sintra. Literally, series storyline pretty much starts right where this episode ends in the books. It's a little different because she's being escorted by a different guy. He does get killed by arrows, uh, but she's not like it's. It's weird that like we know so much about Siri at this point uh, when she's entering the Brokolon Forest. So, um, again, it's almost more difficult in a way as someone who's read the books uh, to kind of digest how the show's been going. Uh, I-, I like it. I like it, but it's almost like I have to forget what I've learned. So I can enjoy what the show is bringing to me. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to let go of, especially if you really like the books. So uh, I would recommend maybe reading the books second. Actually, I really would. I'd recommend reading the book second because you're now in a way expanding. Uh, and it's not, it, it's, I don't, I feel like it's safer to watch it before you read it. I don't really know why, but I just, Having read and then watched, it's been a little brutal. So I guess, I don't know. Take that with a grain of salt. I think it speaks volumes to, excuse me, of the show and its creation that you're not, you know, while you're not upset, but obviously it's a different storyline than you're used to. You're enjoying it and you're continually wanting to watch it you're not put off by the fact that it doesn't align with your timeline of understanding Mm -hmm. and uh i think that speaks volumes if they're able to impress you then that's a that's a big deal well like i said they do the characters justice i mean every character feels dead on the money uh and that that's the most important part with the witcher series it's it's about i mean the plot is it's big and it spans uh you know, varying levels of importance to the entire realm and epicness, I guess you could say. But really, the draw for me, at least, was the characters. And that's why I kept coming back to the show. Uh, the characters, they feel like Geralt. They feel like Yennefer. They feel like Ciri. So it's all there. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that the show is bad in any way. I mean, flaws. There's flaws. Like the previously discussed timeline thing. But there's a reason why, it, you know, it's... Uh, it's considered one of the best and most successful season one debuts of all time because it's you can't get away from how well written and how much information there is about each character from the source material. You, you just you can't dismiss that. It just comes through in the show in such a present way. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, you and me and everybody else got addicted to it. Yeah, And I, I'll say without revealing too much, but I think it was confusing until the very end and the very end of the season, I think everything makes sense, which is important. There was, for me, as a first-time watcher, 
all the questions were essentially answered of why it was done the way it was, because I just think it gave more of an insight to who these people are and and their past and, and whatnot. So while at the time it was very confusing, the ending put it all together. And I think that is uh, a stroke of brilliance in itself. Yeah. Um, I've got some thoughts about the ending, but that is for another time. <laughs> oh boy. Can't wait for that. Yeah. Yep. So, but that is, that is it. Thanks for hanging in there with us. We were a little uh, rickety at the beginning. I think we tightened down. Uh, towards the end there, but uh, be sure to toss a coin to your divers. Uh, leave nice. us a review on iTunes and Podchaser. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Dweeb Dive, and uh, check us out on all major streaming services. If you've got a favorite one, we're on there. Uh, but this concludes the dive. Uh, it's time to go back to the surface. Enjoy the real world until we're able to lock it back down and take another dive. Thanks for listening, everyone. Toss a coin to your diver. Oh, podcast listeners. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Dweeb Dive. If you liked what you heard, please, please, please like and give us a follow so we can continue diving into your favorite topics. There's been a lot of hot takes. There's been a lot of claims, a lot of references to the deep lore. If you have a question, a comment, feedback, you're angry with me for something perhaps inaccurate I said, which is very likely, please do not hesitate to reach out on our accounts and ask us the big questions. We would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.